You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert, Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. We are now living in the information age. Couple that with the fact that we're now living in the age of overwhelm. We're living in the age of misunderstanding of all of the information that we have access to. And of course, being that we're surrounded by so much information, we have so much information at our fingertips, we're bound to have a lot of low quality information trying to seduce us. So how do you make sense of all of this? And how do you engage critical thinking when it's necessary? How are you able to be able to retain and to sift through and to understand things better? to read faster, and all of these incredible skills that are more valuable today than ever. I've been thinking about this a lot, and so I wanted to put together some resources for you, because right now, more than at any other time in human history, we need to be able to learn faster, be able to think critically, and to be able to apply the information to our advantage, to serve ourselves, our families, and our communities. And there is no better person on planet Earth that I could think of to learn from in this particular subject, because when we go to school in a conventional education, we're often taught what to learn, but we're not taught how to learn. And there's many different flavors of learning. And that's part of the problem with our conventional education system. It's a lot of rote memorization. It's a lot of fitting into this particular box. This is how we do things, right and wrong answers. And if you don't have the right answer, then you are not a part of this program. You're not a part of this system. And so today we've accumulated story after story, example after example of people who struggled in conventional education who are brilliant in other domains of life outside of that conventional education, whether it's art, music, poetry, whether it's science. You know, a lot of folks don't realize this. You know, when we say that somebody is a, a brilliant person in our society, we still call them an Einstein. You know, that's one of the names that we still use today. And Einstein did not take the typical track of education. And I remember back in the day taking a moment to read through his biography and it was thick. Or he's a thicky thick. I like big books and I cannot lie type of book. And I was just blown away the fact that he wasn't at some advanced educational institute. He was working in a patent office, this very low tier job. And he was running all these experiments in his mind, right? So the, what he called these thought experiments, these thought experiments that he would just use his imagination to map things out and how they worked. He ended up applying those things and he had to force his way in, find creative ways to get his ideas in front of people who can make these ideas more prevalent, you know? And so he didn't have a traditional track of education. As a matter of fact, there are many stories and accounts of him not doing well in particular parts of his conventional education. But today, for somebody who's brilliant, we use the term Einstein. And so again, there are many different flavors and styles of learning. So we wanna talk about and tap into that a little bit. But most importantly for this conversation, for the vast majority of us, these tools that you're going to learn today that can help you to read faster, that can improve your reading comprehension, that can increase your ability to take notes and to be able to recollect information like you're, what you're hearing right now. And the list goes on and on and on. We're going to feature some information 
from world-renowned accelerated learning and speed reading expert, Jim Quick, New York Times bestselling author and one of the most brilliant people that I know. And true story, the Model Health Show was really the spark for it to begin was a result of an interaction that I had with Jim. You know, there's so many different stories. Even my first book, Sleep Smarter, Jim was involved. I can't tell you how again and again and again, his brilliance just has this aura that makes good things happen. And so I'm really excited about sharing this information. We've gone through some of these things on the show in the past, but I wanted to concentrate them here for you because again, there's never been a time more important for us to learn how to learn, for us to be able to think critically and for us to be able to, you know, there's this new term of misinformation, disinformation, and understanding who's even disseminating what misinformation is. And oftentimes, as we've probably seen over the past couple of years, a lot of times people who are saying that this is misinformation is spouting out misinformation themselves. So how do we sift through it all? How do we strike a balance of understanding even the position that they're coming from when they, they might be saying something that's not factual on all accounts, but it might have a thread of fact to it. You know, So being able to analyze and understand these things and to have an open heart, open mind, but also, as we've talked about recently, not having our mind so open that our brain falls out. All right? So this episode is going to be absolutely loaded with tools and insights that you're going to be able to utilize every single day moving forward. Now, first things first, before most episodes of the Model Health Show, I utilize a little bit of a brain boost from something that is featured in a study published in the Advanced Biomedical Research Journal. And they found that royal jelly, this remarkable product from bees, has the potential to improve spatial learning, attention span, and memory. In addition, it's been found to be antimicrobial, anti-tumor, anti-inflammatory, and also royal jelly has been found to facilitate the differentiation of all types of our brain cells. And to top it off, researchers in Japan discovered that royal jelly has the potential to stimulate neurogenesis in the memory center of the brain, aka the hippocampus. All right. If you think about the name, hippocampus is big. All right. It's, it's where a lot of the magic happens. It's not a big part of the brain, but it's where a, a big part of our life resides with our memory. So cultivating and supporting our memory is of the utmost importance. And man, there are so many wonderful accounts. Royal jelly has been prized for thousands of years. The queen bee, this is what the queen bee is about, exclusively fed royal jelly. The queen bee lives on average one to two years, whereas the worker bees are living like 15 days at minimum and 200 days at maximum. In general, the queen bee is living seven times longer. There's something really remarkable about royal jelly. And one of the big reasons why it's so beneficial to the brain, this has a lot to do with the acetylcholine content that is so concentrated in royal jelly. Acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter found in both the central and peripheral nervous system. And acetylcholine is thought to be a major player in attention, memory, and other executive functions. I utilize exclusively the royal jelly formula that also features Bacopa, which in a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled human trial published in 2016, found that after just six weeks of use, Bacopa significantly improved speed of visual information processing, learning rate, memory consolidation, and even decreased anxiety in study participants. 
These are combined together in Be Smart. Be Smart is the remarkable nootropic from Beekeepers Naturals. Go to beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash model and you're going to get 25% off their incredible nootropic and also their superfood. Honey is out of this world and so many other wonderful things for your immune system, for your cognitive health. Go to B-E-E-K-E-E-P-E-R-S naturals.com forward slash model and you're going to get 25% off. They just bumped it up recently, this discount exclusive right here with the Model Health Show, beekeepersnaturals.com forward slash model. And now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled Inspiring the Lives of Others by T-Man866995. Hey, Sean, I could go on all day thanking you for the passion you put into your craft and truly helping to model the way we need to be living. The information you've put in both books and every single podcast for years, I will add, is transcending the health and wellness world. I try and communicate all the valuable details you provide weekly with my clients. You're a great role model for all ages of people. So keep up the fantastic work, brother. Much love. Much love to you as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review over on Apple Podcasts. It truly does mean so much. And on that note, let's get to our topic of the day. On this episode, we're going to have a masterclass compilation of tools and insights to help you to improve your rate of learning, your reading speed, critical thinking, and the list goes on and on. So we're gonna have a couple of segments from conversations with New York Times bestselling author and accelerated learning expert, Jim Quick. Now, Jim has been sought after by the, the highest educational institutes, we're talking Harvard and the like, to the biggest names in Hollywood and movie studios, helping superstars to learn faster, read their scripts faster, retain more information. One of the coolest things that I was able to experience hanging out with Jim, he worked with the folks at Fox Movie Studios and really just caught the eye of the president of the studios. And he brought Jim into their universe when they were filming movies like X-Men and the like. And Jim was able to impact and to teach a lot of these superstars who were in these epic superhero movies, you know, ranging from Hugh Jackman to Ryan Reynolds, and the list goes on and on. Just banana stuff. And through that, one time when I was actually hanging out with Jim, he put together a mastermind. We got to go to Fox Movie Studios when everything was shut down. We saw an exclusive screening of a movie that wasn't coming out for months. It was just the craziest thing. We got to see where the symphony, like all the music and scores were, were getting done. I got to see relics, you know, from superhero movies like Hugh Jackman's Wolverine Claws, all kinds of crazy stuff. Like these are the cool things that tend to happen when hanging out with Jim Quick. And it's just a testament to his incredible value. And so in this segment, he's going to be talking about the impact of multitasking. And it's probably going to trip you out a little bit. The impact of our devices on our cognitive health today. Also, how to improve your reading comprehension, the remarkable way that music can impact learning, and also how to improve your ability to take notes and recollect information and more. All right, so check out this powerhouse segment from the one and only Jim Quick. There's good habits and bad habits, yeah. right? I really do believe that we either learned how to learn properly early on or, you know, it's kind of at, out of default. I don't think that there's, a, you know, such thing as a, 
a good or bad um, memory or good or bad learners. It's just good or bad habits, you know, trained or not trained. And, um, and that's really what it's all about. Um, but I noticed some people make mistakes. So I just wanted to talk about a few mistakes people are making when sure, they go yeah. to learn something um, or to study it. And then maybe a few hacks to be able to get over those mistakes. Um, one of the one of the big ones, and you know this because you and I have talked about this. What I love about your show is it's it's kind of like how you and I hang out. We go, we get a juice. I mean, if we just record our conversation, it's pretty much like that's how you are. You know what yeah. I mean? It's how you are behind DJ Sean, another one. A, exactly. Um, <laughs> so how do you study smart and not just yeah. hard? You know, how do you do it? So I would say there's a few things that you want to stop right away. Um, some of this is going to be common sense. Yeah. Uh, but as we've discussed in the past, common sense is not always common practice. Mm, and right. I really think uh, for people really wanting to make the rest of this year and years coming up, they really want to simplify. Mm. Um, because if we can't simplify, if we make it too complex, it becomes insurmountable. We don't do anything. So simple things that you could do. Um, stop. Uh, first of all, I want to encourage people as a reminder to stop multitasking. Mm. You know, and I, and we'll get a lot of yeah. slack from that. Just like when I tell people not to touch their phone. You know, the first hour of the day, yeah. it's hard because it's something that our brains are getting rewired for things, right? You and I have talked a lot about superheroes and having superpowers, and you keynoted one of our you know our superhero brain events. Um, but I think they're super villains. All right now, I think yeah. there are three big supervillains that are attacking us, and um, and so it's the three I talk about is the digital ones. Digital, first of all, digital overload, which you mentioned, yeah. it's too much to learn, too little time. Yeah. Like take a sip of water out of fire hose. How do you keep up with it all? And, um, and so we're going to talk about that in this episode on how to study it properly so you can retain it and really master it. The second one um, is digital distraction. Right. In our brains, you know this. They're getting, they're getting rewired to just be distracted, to wander all the time. And it seems like part of it is like these smart devices that you mentioned in the intro. It's rewiring our brains and it's a challenge because if the first thing in the morning, when you're in that very impressionable state, that alpha, you know, theta state in the morning, yeah. a relaxed state of awareness, you know, picking up your phone the first thing is training yourself to be distracted. Yes, exactly. And, you know, you know, and you know, like you've you studied like decision fatigue and how we can only make a certain amount of good decisions a day. But a lot of people are suffering from just brain fatigue. Right. And part of what's fatiguing people is just going on their phones and getting all these dopamine hits. Uh, and um, every time they get a like and a comment and a share and everything. And if that's the first thing that you're 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 giving your mind in the morning, it's training itself just to be everywhere. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, the problem with picking up the phone besides training distraction is train training you to be reactive which is which is not uh, what superheroes want to do, right? The first yeah. thing in the morning. They don't want to train themselves to just react to everything that's going on, all the fires that we have to fight and everything that everyone that needs something from us. It's better to be more proactive. Um, but the third enemy, and I'll go into the solutions, is uh, so you have digital overload and you have digital distraction, and then you have this thing called digital dementia, which you talked about in, in the past, where we're outsourcing our, our smarts to our smart devices, and if your brain is like a, a muscle, it grows stronger with use, but it's use it or lose it. And one of the things I love following you on social media is like your family every morning without fail. So inspiring. You're doing all the workouts and, and you inspire people. And not only just inspiration, it's instructive too. You know, I really think that's what people are looking for. They want to be inspired, but, and, but they also want to know what to do. And, um, you know, and so when we geek out, you and I, we talk about how to do that your mental muscles, right? Yes, just like you exactly. make your physical muscles faster, stronger, more agile, more flexible, and give it more energy and strength. You want your mental muscles to be more agile, more focused, sharper, faster, more 
more energized and, and stronger, obviously, as well. But um, that we're not getting that same exercise because we're so reliant on technology to be able to tell us everything, what to do today and how to, you know, where <laughs> directions and just everything. Oh, man. I tried to do some basic calculations the other day. Yeah. Man, it was hard. And I just I was like, I'm not going to use my phone. I'm not going to. I use my phone. Yeah, you know, even that little thing, app. It's, it's tough. This basic algebra is difficult. And yeah. here's the thing: it's not that I, I. I think we all admit, you know, we want technology because it, it's very convenient. But as long as it doesn't cripple us at the same time, right? right? You exactly. see all these, all these, you know, movies in the future or animations in the future where you know everyone's sitting in their pod and being, you know, they have their 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 digital device and they're all hooked up to that. It's just you know moving around. They're not exercising. They're all right. You know, and what all was that stuff. movie with the little robot? Which one's that one? <laughs> Where the entire future was like people were just so overweight. Wally, it was <laughs> Wally, right? And uh, I think it, he had a little friend. He was like, uh, I don't remember her name. Uh, and it's, it's, Ava and or something. And, it, and it's not a, a very pleasant picture of yeah. where where everyone's going. Very sedentary, not moving, and just kind of not eating the best, not eating the best food ever. But it's just you know our minds they aren't getting right, exercised yeah. either. You know, new thoughts and new stimulus and new. We need um, that. You know, the brain yeah, is just like a muscle. You know, we've talked it, about this before, you and I, and also uh, with Dr. Daniel Amen. It's it's a it's a muscle that is basically if you don't use it, you lose it, just like the rest of your right. muscles. And that's the best news ever because the um, you know because it works both ways. And right, if you're listening yeah. to this right now and you're concerned that senior moments are coming a little early and you're absent-minded, it's not your fault. It's just we're not trained on how to do this these things. And you know. I'm, and the good news is that only one third of that potential is predetermined by genetics and biology, but two thirds is in our control. Yes. And it's the things that you're always talking about, you know, eating the right food and getting rid of negative thoughts and exercise and movement and supplementing and being around a positive peer group and clean environment and sleep and brain protection and new learnings and stress management. All these play a role. Um, so I think a good place to start. Well, before we know, get to we, the solutions, man, I want to do a quick recap. Because yeah. these are so important. And you, you talked about, first of all, something that we need to pay attention to and try to avoid doing is multitasking. And this one is going to be, for a lot of people, it's like, I multitask like a boss. What do you mean? I got to stop multitasking. Yeah. Well, the research shows, and we talked about this with Jay Papazan, uh, who is the author of The One Thing, how, you know, literally, if you look at the studies, multitasking makes your brain work about as well as it does when you're high on marijuana. Matter of fact, yeah. that out, they outperform, you know, when you're multitasking. So we have this illusion that we're getting more stuff done, but we're really taking away our proficiency. We're really taking away our ability to execute at our highest level when we're distracted and multitasking. And then you right. said distractions as well. And the yeah. other one is cramming, right? It, 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 it is. I mean, we, and we go, you know, I'll touch on each of these things. So the multitasking, I completely agree with you. The research is showing... There's a study at University of London saying that it actually lowers your IQ, similar to if you stayed up all night and pulled an all-nighter, you yeah. drop it 15 points. And so the goal here is you could you could task multitask in terms of doing something physical and something mental. You could be on the phone and going for a walk, but yeah. two cognitive-intensive tasks is not possible to be able to do it. Um, and so people are actually, it's taken anywhere from an extra five to 20 minutes to regain your focus and your flow. Right. Yep. Um, there's a high, high level more of a, um, errors that's being made if you're trying to multitask. So if you feel like you're multitasking because you want to be a better performer and more productive, it's absolutely not true. It's actually taken away from your productivity. The goal is to do one single mental thing at a time. Um, really, multitasking is actually a misnomer. It's the more accurate term is called task switching. 
because mm. every time you, you, know, you switch tasks, you you know, you have to refocus your energy. And so it takes more time and there's definitely more mistakes. Um, the second thing that you mentioned is just, um, as we're rewiring our brains for distraction is to this, this focus is a muscle, just like your memory is a muscle for you. Creativity is a muscle. It's not something you have. It's something you do. It's like, you don't have uh, creativity. You do creativity. You don't have memories. You do a memory. You don't have focus. You do focus. And the good thing about making it a process is you could duplicate it, right? There's a recipe there and because it's a verb as opposed to just, you know, a noun. And so with focus, it's something you could do, but every time that's the benefit of being mindful, right? I think most of your listeners have some, some kind of meditation or mindfulness activity that they uh, support every single day. Um, if not, I would highly encourage it, but it's not the 20 minutes or 30 minutes of meditation and getting in that Zen light state. Certainly that's good to, to flow through alpha and theta brainwave states and such. Um, and what's even more important, I think, is that every single time you lose your focus and you bring it back in, you know, to a thought or to a mantra mm-hmm. or to a point or to a space or to an energy, a gratitude, a feeling, uh, a breath, then you exercise, you build your, your mental focus, the muscle, your, your, your focus muscles. So it's not that you don't get loose focus. It's when you bring it back that you get the strength. And so I think one of the things is to be able to set your environment up to win, right? Yeah. So you, you, you talked about stop multitasking. Also, eliminate distractions. I mean, to focus, you got to, when you need to study, you got to turn your phone off. I mean, people are picking up oh, Instagram man. like over 50 times a day, yeah. over 50 times. And if that's something that, you know, if you're doing it less, that means somebody's looking at Instagram even more than you are. <laughs> right. And yeah. there's ways of using technology in for your advantage, right? There's self-control apps like Freedom or Focus Me uh, to block out certain websites, you know, like social media um, or block out sites that you might visit, you know, when you should be focusing on something else. Right. So that, that's the other thing is just, and when I talk about focus, the metaphor that I use is that if you're outside and it's a nice warm day and you have a magnifying glass, you remember when you were kids you used to burn like leaves and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, when you see the light go through the magnifying glass, it creates a very bright um, focused you know, point there that um, is very highly concentrated. And it's interesting that the word bright describes it because it also we use the word bright to describe really smart intelligent people right yeah. but maybe they're not smarter maybe they're just better focused like mm, that magnifying glass is doing to the light and so there's a lot of power in being focused um in being so if you want to study better so one of the yeah. things that i want you to talk about if you can is this concept and this was the first time i ever heard this was from you of recognition versus recollection when we're actually doing this work to study and assimilate things. Right, because, well, okay, so one of the things that um, I think that keeps people from learning faster is they're so passive about it, right? It's yeah. this idea between passive and active recall. And, you know, I actually recommend people don't reread chapters of their nonfiction book. I mean, a lot of people will read something and reread it again, thinking they're going to get more out of it the second time, you know, right afterwards. And certainly it is, but it's marginal returns because you could easily, here's the thing, what people found out by rereading things is to study, right, is that they could delude themselves um, thinking that you really know the information when you're, when you're reading it, instead of really, instead of the better thing to do is to test yourself because it's, it's Mm. like, for example, you read the chapter and then instead of rereading that same chapter, close the book and recall and recite all you can remember, because there is a difference between recognition and recollection, meaning recognition requires a trigger for you to remember something. 
that you might not get on the test. It's like when somebody recognizes a face, they don't necessarily remember the face. What they're doing is they're recognizing it because it's right in front of them yeah. and they realize that they've seen it before. One of the reasons why names are so difficult sometimes is because you don't get that same prompt. You get the prompt for the person's face, but you don't get that prompt uh, or that trigger for the person's name. And so studying actively with focus on um, on recollection as opposed to recognizing something, one of the things the best do that is to quiz yourself. You know, read something and then ask yourself these questions yeah. because often questions are the answer. And I mm. think a lot of people, Sean, yeah. like when they're reading and, and people like, Jim, how do you, and we did a whole podcast episode on speed reading. People are like, how do you read a book a week or how do you read a book a day? And, um, and one of the ways you could do it is, and how do you get, do you really understand and retain it? And I'll tell you that, um, that if you want greater speed, you know, I always tell people to use their finger while they read, you know, visual pacer will help boost your reading speed 25, 50%. But if you want greater comprehension, you have to train yourself to ask better questions, ask more questions and ask better questions. Because as you're reading, they act like a magnet. It's like, yeah. oh, there's an answer, there's an answer, there's an answer. And I think part of being more active in recollection is actually asking yourself, what do I want to learn out of this? You know, how does this compare to what I already know? How am I going to teach this to somebody else? Because that's all thinking is, is just this process of asking yeah. new questions and answering them also as well. And so I'm a big yeah. believer is that just don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that you know something because you could recognize it and see if you could really retain it and recollect it by quizzing yourself as you're learning it or something Perfect. brand new. Um, the other thing I want to mention also is, is you mentioned this at the top is just stop cramming. And the reason why cramming is a big mistake is because they've done studies where they found that the average person loses their focus after 25 or 30 minutes. Um, that's like, it's like a kind of like a TV show and that's our right. attention span for a lot of things. And so there's this time management technique called the uh, Pomodoro technique, which basically means you're setting your alarm every 25, 30, maybe 45 minutes. And when it's done, you take a break. You take a, not a 25 or 30 minute break, but you're taking a two, three, four, five minute break to do things that are good for your brain. So what are those things? Movement is very good. Yeah. You know, most people sedentary are way too sedentary. They're sitting all day, eight hours a day, and that's bad for you, obviously. So movement is key because as your body moves, your brain grooves. The other thing I would suggest is uh, deep breathing, you know, whether it's box breathing, box breathing, alpha breathing, Wim Hof, whatever, you know, people subscribe to and to get the oxygen and also hydrate obviously. And it's, again, very, very fundamental. But so many people dabble in these things when they really should really master this process. Yeah. Because your power comes from the fundamentals. And so I would go back to, and the other reason why you don't want to cram is because if you study for six hours straight, not only are you diminishing returns because you're focused after the past half an hour, is there's this these two memory phenomenons. One's called primacy and the other one's called recency. Primacy means that you tend to remember something at the beginning so if you go to a party and you remember the people you've, that are, you first met, recency says you remember things more recent. So if you're at the party, you remember the names of the last people that you met at the party and you probably forget most of the people in between. Um, same thing with a list of words. If I gave people a list of 30 words to memorize, they probably remember the ones in the beginning, primacy, and then more recent, recency. And the reason why you want to take breaks every half an hour, 45 minutes is because, you know, you can imagine after like a six hour study time, you learn stuff in the beginning, you retain stuff at the end, but in the middle, there's a big dip. Right. But by creating breaks, let's say every hour, you create more beginnings and ends and more primacy and recency. So you pick up a whole lot more data um, and re re uh, recollection. So don't cram. 
Um, and then I would say the fourth thing that I would stay away from besides mul stop multitasking, um, stop distracting yourself by controlling your environment, eliminating distraction, turning off your phones and so on. Um, don't cram because that's a big mistake because you're actually losing ground is, has hacked this thing called acrasia and acrasia is, is this, it's this state and we know what it is. I mean, I mean, it's kind of like that state, um, where you're acting against your own better judgment. Right. Um, <laughs> Why really, do I mean, we do like, that? I'm, Exactly. And so Socrates, um, you know, t it, Plato, um, it was in one of his books, asked precisely, um, how is this possible? If one judges action A to be the best course of action, why would anyone do anything other than A, right? But we do. You know, we don't, we're not always logical. If anything, we're more biological, right? We're more emotional. It's like, why do we do this? Why do we eat foods that are not good for us? Why do we not journal and meditate and work out and eat good food? Why don't we do that all the time? If that's in our best interest, and so um, so that that's what acrasia is. It's this acting against your own better judgment. And so there are apps out there that helps people to stick with their uh, their decisions and their habits and stuff. Um, so there's an app called Stick, S T I C double K, I believe. Um, there's one called Beeminder, um, also as well to help you keep you to your commitments. Um, I did a whole episode um, on our podcast about like how to stop procrastinating, and that's one of the big things. There's something called the Zygarnik effect. Zygarnik effect actually is a memory principle um, named after this psychologist in Europe who was watching uh, as she was getting coffee that the wait staff would remember everyone's order, mm -hmm. and like how how do they do that naturally without any kind of training? And they called it um, the Zygarnik effect, basically that they would remember the old person's order up to the point that it was fulfilled, and then after it was fulfilled and they got what they ordered, the meal, then that would just disappear. But the idea here is that if you have something in your life that you're procrastinating about, that if you just start something, you're more likely to finish it because the brain needs closure. It doesn't like open loops. Right. You right. Know, that's how story. that's how the greatest uh, uh, kind of golden age of TV is getting us right now. You know, mm -hmm. like these writers are so good at opening these loops. It's like you have to know what happens. Like what is going to happen with Colson? Exactly. And then you and then you binge watch like eight episodes of like, you know, Scandal or <laughs> just one more, or just one is. more, because they have all these open loops. And but we are like that with our life that right. if we start something, we have this big drive to need to close it off. And so start something, you know, somewhere that we could definitely help you with that. But that's the Zygarnik effect. But so Perfect. those are the, the four things that I would ask people to stop because you want to stop something, but you can't just stop something. You want to start it. So stop multitasking. Yeah. Stop. Eliminate, you know, eliminate distractions in your life. Um, don't cram. Stop cramming. Always take a break every 30, 45 minutes. And then hack this thing called acrasia, which is this idea where we don't finish the things that are good for us. What do you think about listening to music while you study? You know, I personally, I like more of a quiet environment, but I do sometimes tune in and listen to uh, certain, you know, it's instrumentals, you know. So what do you think about mm -hmm. like, maybe somebody's like listening to Tupac trying to study yeah, algebra yeah, versus yeah. like classical music. So a lot of, and this is, I think a lot of the parents could relate to this and when they hear their kids studying, they have the, you know, Pandora or Spotify in the background and the TV and right. the video games are like multitasking, uh, you know, the wazoo. I would say that, um, music has been shown to enhance the studying process as long as it's not distracting. So I'm not mm. talking about music like, um, hip hop or heavy metal rap. Um, the, the music that's been shown to support studying is classical music, as you would think, instrumentals. 
specifically of the uh, Baroque era. So Vivaldi, Bach, um, because that era happens to have music a lot concentrated on 60 beats per minute, which also happens to be the resting heart rate. And so it puts you into this, what they call this alpha state, this alpha brainwave state, which is that relaxed state of awareness. And that's the state we go in when we meditate, the state we go in when we watch televisions, the state we go in when we do hypnosis. It's, it's where you become highly suggestible. And so when you're studying something, it helps, let's say you want to, like, and I, I believe that if you combine music with spaced repetition. Mm. So like we talked about the four challenges that you need to stop, you know, the bad habits like multitasking and cramming and such. Um, there are four things I would recommend people do. So one of them was we talked about is practicing active recall by quizzing yourself. So it's the difference between recognizing and recollecting something. The second thing I would say where you can combine with music is this thing called spaced repetition. Yeah. So that's the idea where, yes, you can learn information by deeply immersing yourself and one of another way of learning something is by spacing it out that through this kind of interval um, learning or recall, if you will, that if you space things out that you're learning and review it, maybe an hour later, a day later, a week later, a few weeks later, then you could drive it from your short to long term memory. Um, there's actually good software out there like Anki, A-N-K-I. It's like um, these repetition software flashcards. So for people that want to learn a language. I would, I, for example, um, or something, something that's that's um, could be more repetitive. Yeah. So what they could do is they can combine space repetition yeah. with um, with music, like the Baroque music, to learn a language, to study for the medical law exams, to memorize names and faces, to brush up on your geography, to a master poem or lines, you know, in a play or you know, in a, in a film, um, practicing even um, you know musical chords. Could help you also. Space repetition is a very powerful way of driving it deeper inside of you. Yeah, um, I, I think I heard the word intervals in there, and so it's like how and, and this is clinically proven across the board for interval training and exercise to be so mm -hmm. much more effective and efficient mm -hmm. than that kind of long duration, steady state studying slash cardio confessional that we would do. That's that's exactly it. This is this is just for the mind. This is yeah. like. Men mental interval training. And so it's that, that space repetition really helps um, and that space review helps a lot because it's in that downtime that actually we're getting a lot of the integration and mm. things are moving from short term to long term. So I would say um, practice the active recall by asking questions and quizzing yourself. Have space for repetition. Um, add the music that we're talking about here. It can really accelerate it as long as it's not distracting for people. It's helping to relax you, puts you in a brainwave state where you absorb faster, it's more your unconscious um, where your critic conscious mind can only handle so much, right? right? That's the part that really gets stressed over everything. And you think about all this, for example, lyrics to songs that we know. I mean, how many, how many of our hundreds, right? Yeah. Um, but how right. many do we actually oh study, and, like, study this and write it out? And none, none of them, right? We all learned when we didn't realize we were learning. We we're just having fun. Exactly. And that's really that unconscious mind that's really processing. Holy smokes, um, man. Third, Wait, man, you just hit yeah. something here. Yeah, let's do it. I just, the other day, there was a song from like, 20 years ago it came on the radio and i haven't heard in years you know and just like i knew all the lyrics and i was just like what like i started and to really think it, about how is that possible you know exactly and so we learned we we know so much more we didn't actually learn it in school or anything we learned so much more than we've ever given ourselves credit for and so um part of it is because we were just in that unconscious playful state and i i feel like that's that's a powerful way to learn is just like children 
his children have that beginner's mind and we just we're having remember we've talked about in the past that information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory so that's why like we remember things through sense through through taste music that's bring us back when we're children and music is highly you know state inducing and so that's high level of emotion and speaking of sense i would actually add that as a third thing so besides active recall and spaced repetition with music, I would actually add the sense of smell because the sense of smell is the, is the most powerful sense that we have when it comes to connecting to our, um, our nervous system. Meaning that I don't know if it was because we needed to smell um, uh, you know, poison before it actually, you know, be, to save our life or something. But if you, here's the thing, our environment gets connected to the information. So if you want even better studying, because that's the theme of what we're talking about, um, it always helps to study in the environment where you need to recollect the information. So, for example, here right now, I'm at I'm doing programs here in Boston uh, area for the colleges and stuff. You know, it would help them to study in the in the lecture center that they're going to be tested in hmm. because unconsciously we connect that. And it's something I mentioned before where they did this study and they put students underwater with breathing apparatus and they give them uh, words to memorize and they take them outside back in the surface to test them and they put them back in the water and test them. And then which one do you think people remembered more back in the water, right? Because right. that environment got connected to the information. And so knowing that then studying in the place, for example, in your workplace where you need to give this the speech or that Ted talk, it always helps to study in that environment. And it's not really practical for most people. So the idea here is to actually, can you take the environment in with you? Mm. And meaning yeah. using the sense of smell, that if you had a, a unique, unfamiliar scent that while you're studying, uh, one of the methods could help you jog your memory, has spray that on you or taste it during the actual exam. When you give the, have to give that presentation, that book report, or that take that test, that if you chew a strange kind of gum, or essential oil, mm-hmm. or, you know, or perfume or cologne, and then you have that same one when you need to recall it, it's going to be more available to you. And so I would recommend playing with that. And speaking of essential oils, there are certain essential oils that have been shown to be able to activate and wake up the mind. Um, yeah. Essential oils like peppermint, um, like uh, rosemary, helps increase the chances of remembering things that you need to be able to remember, helps improving your your, your focus, helps improve your uh, your recall. Fascinating. And that there's actually science to back that up, which is so crazy. It's just like, you know, our, our sense of smell, it's one of those things that helps, as Jim is describing, to drive memories deeper and, and create a stronger connection when we're learning some information. Uh, so utilize that channel that's just an open thing that's happening on automatic anyways. Um, and peppermint, for example, is one of the things that I saw when I was looking into the research uh, you know, using essential oil, maybe you can just right before you get started, maybe you have a few drops of peppermint oil that you, you know, yeah. I don't know, wipe on the the, the book it's, or something. Or It's often, yeah, and it's often what you do before the actual act that really shows up, you yeah. know, when you need to perform. And same thing with um, doing a light workout before studying can help you to, to retain information better, right? And so anything that's going to be good for your heart is going to be good for your head. So getting that Love blood that. flow, the, the the artery that goes directly from the heart to the to the brain is the carotid artery, right? And it's just like the first is the primary one. 
and you know getting the right amount of oxygen and and circulation is very important so the fourth thing i would actually put is music what we talked about so i make that the fourth thing to do um, after um, what we're talking about the different sense of smell because there's research done at Stanford School of Medicine basically saying that playing certain types of music such as classical or Baroque can help students engage the parts of their brain to help them pay attention and better anticipate and make predictions better. Um, besides the fact that some music will actually enhance people's mood, which would be right. good just because all learning is state dependent and you want to be able to always control your mood and your outlook for things when well, it I comes love to study. You said all all learning is state dependent. All That's, learning is state dependent. It's yeah, it's, it's one of the primary beliefs, you know, that we have, you know, when we talk about quick brain is like the state of mind and body, mm-hmm. um, the emotion, the feelings. Like think about it. Back in school, if you were people were tested on, oh, what was the state these state capitals and name these presidents right. or name like, you know, when, you know, this periodic table or what is all the stuff that we learned back in school? Most people don't remember it for two reasons. Number one is relevancy. Right, relevancy meaning maybe they didn't see a one-to-one connection on why it's important and relevant to their life. Yeah. Um, sine, cosine, tangent, x, hypotenuse, y. You know. Um, but the other thing is um, the emotional state people learned it in, the students learned it in. For most people, when you ask them how do they feel mostly when when they're sitting in class being lectured to, most people say, "Oh, I was bored." And at that, that's a, like on an emotional scale, that's like a zero, right? But anything times zero equals zero. If information combined with emotion becomes a long-term memory, if the emotion level is zero, there's not a lot of recall because that's the per, for the first part, the first third of the memory stages is called encoding. And that's how you actually encode the information, put it in, then you store it, and then you retrieve it. But part of the encoding is making, you know, if you want better recall, is to make it more emotional. You know, what do you see? What do you feel? How is how is it? You know, how is it touching you in a certain way? Yeah. Oh, you know what? When you said uh, relevancy, it just really sparked up a lot for me because I like I l- loathed biology and science. Like I couldn't stand it. And up until even a few years ago, I'd have these nightmares where I'm in biology class. And just like I didn't have my homework or something or like uh, human anatomy or physiology. And I still remember my teacher. She was a little creepy. And she'd be in my dream. And I'm just like, oh, no, I got to figure this out. And it's because I just really didn't want to be there. I couldn't stand the process. But what created this connection, why I love it, like it is my life. It's things I no one makes me study biology every day. But I just I'm very passionate about it now because the relevancy you know, with yeah. it applying to my life personally. And that's what we do with the Mono Health Show is how can we connect this information to your life so that you mm. want to learn about it so that it becomes fun and entertaining and engaging. It becomes a part of who you are more easily. And that's really one of the big secrets I want everybody to walk away with is tying in the things that you want to learn, tie it into something that matters to you, right? Why do you want to learn it? Not just I should learn it just because or it's important to learn. You need to consciously create an association to it. And for me, it's teaching. So when I'm learning things, I'm thinking, how can I teach this? How can I make this make sense to other people so that they can have their lives changed? And so that's just one of the big takeaways of the many that we have here today. But I want to make sure that we talk about taking notes because that just blew my mind when you had us to do those two columns uh, way back in the day, mm-hmm. you taught us about taking notes. So let's talk a little bit about that. Right. So one of the ways that can increase your ability to retain the things that you're you're studying is to take notes. That uh, people don't realize that you know there's 80% of what you learn can be gone within two days. So you listen to a podcast, you read a book, you go to a lecture, 
48 hours later, 80% of it could be gone. And one of the ways to mitigate that from happening is by taking notes. But it's like, how do you take notes? There's all these different ways. And for most people, they didn't really learn a process. Or if they did, it was kind of like that linear outline. You remember, Sean, it's like like one Roman numeral, like A and Roman numeral, you know, one, two, yeah. that kind of thing. And it, the, the challenge is, so they've done lots of studies on research to find out one of, you know, some of the best ways of taking notes. And um, so there's qualities to active to- note-taking. Because mm-hmm. instead of passive note-taking, they say I found the worst way of taking notes actually really surprised them. It was by transcribing what the teacher was saying. That was the worst way of taking notes. And um, it's kind of interesting because you would think maybe part of people would think is, hey, when did help me to take notes by having every single thing word for word? And they found actually it actually hurt people. Yeah. Um, and so first of all, I would say you don't have to go for those trans transcriptions. Um, a question I always get is about typing notes and handwriting notes. They find um, the studies show that taking notes with by hand is is actually better for people. Yeah. So it's interesting. Taking notes by hand is actually better for people. Um, and one of the reasons why is because you could technically type. Somebody could type as fast as somebody could could speak, um, but they can't necessarily. Um, when you're hand, right handwriting, you can't write that fast, and it forces you to really qualify information, right. to filter information, to to take notes with purpose, to listen to everything, and just write down and hone in on the things that's really important. Yeah. Um, and that's alone, besides the notes it's, itself, helps to increase your understanding um, and your effectiveness there. But we generally want notes that meet this quality. Number one is you want notes that are active, because um, we I did a you know, whole session last time when you and I were talking about how to learn anything faster and we talk about the fast method and everything. But, you know, the A is being active because learning is not a spectator sport. You need to be active. The second thing when I'm taking, when taking notes is taking notes with purpose, like you said, relevancy, right? Like you have to know your purpose of what you're looking for. Otherwise, how do you know if you didn't, you know, whether you find it or not? Um, Good note taking is also very organized. And so you have to figure out the best way of organizing information for you. Um, They find that the best way of taking notes actually is in your own words and not the expert's words, but your own words Mm -hmm. itself because it's more personal for you. Um, They also found that taking key ideas and using like images is more effective than just writing everything Mm -hmm. out. Um, And so, but then how do you take that information and lay it out? Um, Some people are familiar with mind mapping, right? Um, mind mapping is a creative way of doing left and right brain note taking where you put the main idea in the middle and then coming out like spokes of a wheel or maybe like branches of a tree you see the other areas um, and then those branches get broken down and so on and so forth Um, a very easy way that I like to teach people to take notes on you mentioned is drawing a line down the page and it's so simple but again we keep things purposely elegant because anybody can make things more complicated right I mean, you want things to be so simple and easy and elegant that we're going to do it on a daily basis. So I put a line down the page on the left side, I take notes. And so I'm writing down how to remember names and how to learn a language and how to speed read and all those things. Uh, but on the right side, I'm not taking notes. I'm actually making notes, which is a slight dis- distinction. But this is what I mean. On the left side, I'm capturing information. On the right side, I'm creating it. Meaning that if I'm going to get distracted and focus somewhere else, I'd rather get distracted on the right side of the page. And on the right side, I'm writing my impressions of what I'm writing on the left side. So it's like, how am I going to use this or questions that I have or how am I going to share it with somebody else? or How does it relate to something I already know? So that's the difference between note taking and note making. It's the difference between capturing 
and actually creating notes, um, which is just as obviously as effective. Um, and then again, doing it with handwriting instead of digital right. keyboard, you'll get a nice lift on there. There's a study done at Princeton University that shows that note takers actually retain more information by hand than by hunted pecking. Right. Um, and, you know, everybody's got their the laptops and their, you know, phones to take a little note here or there. But yeah. just listening to the expert who actually knows this stuff to, you know, pin, you know, pin this down. It's kind of like when you're writing something, you're in a way you're, you're spelling it out, right? You're casting a spell, mm-hmm. right? A spell of learning in a way. And like, I've got, like I said, all of these notebooks, handwritten notes, uh, just through the years of learning. And today, same thing. I'll take something that I hear that's profound and I'll just, I'll write a little note about it. Yeah. And it's in my own words as well, you know? And I like that. You said also that, you know, to cater things and find the way that works best for you as, for, as far as organization. And I thought about a friend of ours, uh, Julia Roy. And when she comes and she's taking notes, she's got all these different colors and things are color coordinated and mm-hmm. just the best looking notes I've ever seen. I was like, that's, that's just... That's not my cup of, of tea, you know, but it was really fascinating to see that that's, that's what works for her. And she's one of the most brilliant and intelligent people that I know, and that's the way that she does it. So finding the things that work for you, you know, even if you are taking notes on your laptop, uh, find yeah. it, employing these strategies where you can. And I like that too, because it's just like people's diets and their exercises, finding something that works for people, because whatever gets people to do it is what's what I like. You know, it's not right or wrong. Yes. It's just good, better, best. Yeah, for individuals, um, like they, they did a study where they took a couple of scientists, they set up an auditorium full of people and half of them took notes with a keyboard. The other half took notes, handwriting, uh, while somebody spoke and they wanted to figure out who would remember the most and who would you know retain the most. And they, um, they found it after they tested people afterwards that the handwriting people won hands down, mm. no, no pun intended <laughs> handwriting <laughs> people won hands down, um, because people understood more, they retained more, they remembered more, you know, when they wrote by hand. So I would explore with, with everybody. I know if it's not something that's new, sometimes you have to take a step backwards to take a couple leaps forward. But again, you know, it might be individual for, for everybody. All right, right now I'm gonna teach you some strategies to help you to improve your reading speed and also your comprehension and also do things like remember people's names. Have you ever been in a situation where you shake hands, you meet somebody and then like literally just their name goes in one ear and out the other. So I'm gonna teach you some strategies that I actually learned from Jim Quick that I use all the time. Now, a really simplistic way to look at learning is taking something that you don't know and connecting it with something that you do know. That in and of itself creates this melding process, this neural association in your brain. So for example, if you're meeting someone new and we'll say that this person's name is Bob, And of course, it sounds like an easy name to remember, right, Bob, but for a lot of folks, it can go in one ear and out the other, especially if you're meeting a bunch of people at one time, for example. You know, hey, this is Bob, this is Mary, and this is Marcus. And you'll be like, oh, hi, Bob, hi. But then you'll forget their names almost instantaneously. Here's how you can remember their names and literally just lock it in in that moment and potentially never forget. And so, for example, There's something that you might know maybe from your childhood if you think about something like bobbing for apples, right? Bobbing for apples, it has the name Bob in it. So when you meet Bob, I immediately, what I would do is picture Bob bobbing for apples in my head, all right? Bob doesn't know that I'm doing this. It's not anything weird or freaky. I mean, you could make it 
freaky. Maybe he's like bobbing for apples and he's got, you know, some high heels on. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe he's dressing a little bit risque. But, you know, then this also is bringing more humor or animation to something makes it even stronger in your mind, makes it much more difficult to forget if you connect something memorable to it. So I'll meet Bob, shake his hand, think about Bob bobbing for apples, maybe in his fanciest sequence underwear, whatever it is, box of shorts. All right, so we got Bob bobbing for apples. Then I meet Mary. And when I shake Mary's hands, I think about the, the name Mary. Where would I see that? Where's something I can recollect from my memory, from my experience that resonates with the name Mary? And it could be getting married, right? So I'll shake Mary's hand and I'll think about Mary standing there at the altar, you know, waiting for her groom or her lover for life to tie the knot. And then the next person would be Marcus. And I'm just spitballing here, but Marcus, if you have a name like Marcus, for example, you could break that down. You could think about Marcus, it has Mark in it. Or, and I'll think about marker. And maybe Mark is using a marker and writing us on a dry erase board or something like that, right? So we got Marcus. Mark using a marker and writing us, and I'll remember Marcus. Mary is getting married, Bob, bobbing for apples, all right? So using imagery and taking something that you know and connecting it with something that you don't know, which is their names, immediately starts to meld those things together in your mind. So that's one of the strategies to help you to remember names. So you could use animated things like that. You can you know, tie it to, so for example, a, a good, example that I have would be meeting my neighbors. All right. I'm probably the only person in my, in my block that I know everybody's name. And I'm not like the neighbor guy. I'm not like Mr. Rogers out here. All right. But, you know, just in passing, you know, you'll meet some people. And one of my neighbors, for example, her name is Erin. And so when I met her, I thought, okay, is it, how is it spelled? Right. So it, immediately when I heard it, I thought of like the male version of Aaron, A-A-Ron, right? And I thought about Aaron Rodgers. And so I was just like, immediately I pictured her in Green Bay Packers, you know, shoulder pads, and she's out here throwing the rock. I'll never forget Aaron's name, all right? So that was Aaron. There's another older fella who I see all the time out walking his dog, Stan, all right? And Stan, I thought about a character from the old Martin Lawrence TV show, Martin, and Stan was his boss at the radio station. So whenever I see Stan, I think about Stan from Martin. All right, they don't know I'm doing this, but I know their names are locked in. Another one of my neighbor's names is Troy, right? So Troy, when I met him, I thought about Brad Pitt and Troy, right? So I'm picturing my guy, you know, he's got the armor on, muscles beaming, you know, and I just locked that in. So a lot of folks would probably be pretty, it, it means something when you remember somebody's name. It just does. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience of somebody messing your name up or calling you something else. It, it, I mean, you don't have to take these things so seriously, but for some people, it can be a big mistake, like in business or friendships, you know, it can really throw you off if somebody doesn't even, if they feel like you don't even appreciate or respect them enough to learn their name, right? So this can be a valuable skill in building relationships in business and in life in general. So that's why these specific things work. So I hope that that helps you and gives you a tool so I can go around a table and meet 10 people and I can remember all of their names, right? And I've done it many times and I learned this strategy from the remarkable Jim Quick. 
And another invaluable thing that I learned from Jim was increasing my reading speed. And one of the things that he mentioned in the past segment was using a visual pacer. So this could be as you're going across the, the words on the page using your finger, but I like, and so does he, using a marker or a pen or a highlighter, using something and tracing across the bottom of the words as you're reading. What that does is it instantaneously increases your reading speed by about 25%. Now, the reason that we don't typically do this or utilize this skill, this very powerful brain association as a brain hack, is because when we're in conventional education, this is frowned upon to use your finger. A lot of kids naturally will use their finger to read, getting started, and will, you know, shoo them away, shoo away that hand, because you don't want to be that person who's using their hand or a visual pacer to read. And so utilizing this consciously now can unlock some mental superpowers because the human brain, we're hardwired to keep our eye on movement. The thing about the words on the page is that they're static. So having something moving is just instantly clocking in with one of the primitive associations that the human brain has to watch for movement. All right. And also another piece within that, because even still, you're still only going to be able to go through the words as fast as you can say them aloud in your head. All right. You can only read by, if you're using typical reading strategies, you can only read as fast as you can vocalize the words in your head. All right. What that is, is called sub vocalization. And that limits us on how quickly we can read because we're forcefully, unknowingly enunciating every single word as we go along when we're reading typically. But what we've got to do, if we really want to increase our reading speed even more past speaking really quickly or speaking really quickly in our head, you know, and I think about the micro machine guy, I think about Twister, shout out to Twister, rep in Chicago, Busta Rhymes, you know, people that can speak really, really quickly. But for the average person, they're not going to be speaking that quickly, even in their head. So we've got to train ourselves out a little bit of sub vocalization because we're limiting the actual capacity of our brain. Our brain doesn't, we don't have to sound a word out in order to recognize the word. The brain, when it sees the word cat, you don't have to sound it out in your head. It's already cognitively connected. And so when you see that word, the brain is already, it already is locked in on what that is. But we slow ourselves down when we read the word out loud. All right. So even we'll just use a longer word, not just cat, but like hippopotamus, hippopotamus. All right. So by using a visual pacer and moving faster than you can enunciate those words, what happens is it forces you to stop vocalizing them. At first, it's going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel like you're missing a lot of stuff. But eventually, your comprehension starts to go up pretty dramatically because your brain is going to start to adapt to this new strategy of not sounding out every word and recognizing the word and picking up the data. All right. So reducing sub vocalization and some folks try to eliminate it totally. Now, for me, I'm thinking about things in terms of there isn't this this one size fits all thing. And the same thing for me, I'm looking at it as far as training. There's so many different types of training and exercise for the body. I feel that there can be different types of training and exercise for the brain. So when I'm really like in research mode and reviewing 
books that might have, you know, very technical data and things like that, that I don't need to like really harp over or get invested in a story, then I'll utilize more of a speed reading strategy. But sometimes like, for example, if you just wanted to unwind and hang out in the evening, relax to a good book, you don't have to dart your way through your John Grisham or JK Rowling's book, all right? You could take the time and, and, and read it at a relaxed pace, all right? So I'm not an all or nothing type of guy or type of thinker in this domain. I just believe that we should have access to these tools and know that they exist and know that our brains are far more capable at adapting to different inputs than we give it credit for. And it's just because, again, we're not taught how to learn. We're often just force-fed what to learn. And so this can expand our palate so much, being able to, to learn different things that are often not given to us in our conventional education. So there's a couple of insights there. So we've got some strategies to help us to remember names, to improve our reading speed. And also, I wanted to share one more insight with you because in the information age, the accessibility is really the big difference. This is the thing that we're experiencing more than ever that we don't really realize right at our fingertips at all times is like infinite amount of data and accessibility to said data and the data's accessibility to you and other people's accessibility to you, all right? I grew up during a time when all you had was a home phone and computers were not in every household. And so if you left the house to go somewhere, you're just gone. That's it, I'll see you later. Today, however, constant 24-7 access to you should you allow it. Everywhere you go, everybody that you know who has your number has access to you, right? So we've got so much influx potential coming at us. And also our brains get hardwired to seek out and look for more of this information because of the way that social media sites in particular are wired up to keep us coming back for more searching for the likes, searching for the engagement, and seeing what the conversations are, seeing what all, all the stuff that's going on out there, there's this deep-seated FOMO, fear of missing out that's taking place. And so having access to our phones is kind of like having a slot machine in our pocket. And if we're wanting to really make a difference in the world, to accomplish things, to have deep focus, creative work, and, and, and productivity, We've got to have a better association with our smartphones because in many ways, our smartphones are making us dumb, all right? Ironically, and it's not that these things aren't valuable, immensely valuable, but unfortunately today, many people don't realize that our phones are controlling our lives. And so what we want to do is understand that this is happening because maybe you are wanting to create, you know, work on a book or an article or create a piece of art or... Whatever the case might be, you know, study for an exam, put a presentation together, but your phone is right by you and you find yourself engaging in these just checks, right? I'm supposed to be focused, creating, getting done what I've got to get done, but I'll just check Instagram really quickly. I'll just check Twitter really quickly. I'll just check, just check, just check. And you know this, when you just check, you can get sucked right into that internet black hole before you know it. And 20 minutes might pass by. And the problem, is, as Jim has articulated as well, is that when you are being distracted by your phone, it takes time. There's a switching cost. It's called a switching cost of you doing that thing and then trying to switch back to the thing that you're supposed to be doing. 
right? This multitasking is really a misnomer. The human brain is not really wired up to do that. It can switch tasks quickly, but there's still a task switching that's taking place. There might be a faster switchover or a shorter lull for some people in some brains, for sure. And truth be told, women tend to have a shorter lull in switching from task to task. All right, the female brain is different from the male brain. Right? There are some remarkable differences. However, this does not give us a permission slip to engage in what we believe to be multitasking, which what it really does is it makes us less efficient in everything that we're doing. All right, so to be able to utilize our capacity to get stuff done, one of the strategies, since we know that that phone is a portal that makes us leave reality, I want you to really hear what I'm saying right now. When you pick up your phone and you go into that app, you're no longer here. You're in there. You've left, right? And you feel all the feelings. You get, you get into that world and you're no longer present. And there's even a delay oftentimes, especially if you're on your phone for a while, there's a delay in you picking up reality again. And so what is the solution here? Well, for example, <laughs> I've had the opportunity and, and great fortune and it's, it's a labor of love, to say the least. It, it takes you through a lot, a lot of growth, a lot of efforting, but to write two pretty epic books and to be able to accomplish something like that at a time like today, I had to put parameters in my life specifically with that damn phone. I had to keep it away from me while I'm doing my deep work. So one of the strategies for me that I still use to this day, when I walk into my office, to work, to write, to create, whatever it is that I'm doing, researching, to put this episode together. I walk into the office, phone goes across the room. I sit my phone across the room. So it's not in arm's reach where I can just grab it and just check. If I'm gonna just check, I literally have to stop what I'm doing, walk across the room and pick it up. It's more time for my brain to be like, no, no, what are you doing? Stop it. What are you doing? Where are you going? Get back to what you need to do. All right. Now, again, if it's within arm's reach, what you do is, oh, I'm just going to check the time. Boom. You check the time. You always see somebody text you, right? Or whatever the case might be. And then next thing you know, you're getting pulled out of your work. And there's a 99.9% .9 chance that that text is not urgent, but it's just because you see it, right? Now, if your work requires that there's constant access, absolutely keep those channels open for sure. But the things that are not necessary, let's remove or dramatically limit those things. So for example, I highly, highly recommend that you shut off all the notifications for things that are unnecessary. Because when you sign up for the app, they ask you, would you like us to send you some notifications, right? For Instagram, for Twitter, for Facebook, for YouTube. And next thing you know, a lot of folks are getting these notifications constantly when people are commenting or whatever the case might be on their stuff. You don't need that. It's a constant distraction and it's training your brain to be distracted, all right? Shut those notifications off. And the thing is, these social media tech companies, they are well-versed. They want to get you in and keep you in. Hopefully you've seen the film Social Dilemmas kind of uh, articulating this in a more visual way. And a lot of folks are getting educated through film today through television documentaries, that's all good. But there's a much bigger story as well. And just understanding that this is taking place, 
they're using psychological tactics to get you in the app and keep you there as long as possible. And they're making money, whether you're buying stuff or not, something is eventually for, is highly likely there's going to be an engagement that takes place that adds money to their pockets. All right. So there's a vested interest in keeping you on those apps. So what happens now is, you know, when I download the app, you know, would you like to turn on notifications? No, but they'll ask me every so often. The, the, the little thing will pop up, a little message. Hey, turn on notifications for Instagram or whatever the case might be. They're very persistent at asking you over time, right? They'll keep on asking. You got to keep saying no, all right? So turn off the excessive notifications. We do not need them unless it is required for your work. If like, if you work, if you're somebody who's an Instagram specialist for, you know, your said company, and that's what you do? Cool. But if you work at a lab or you're a third grade teacher or you're a police officer, you don't need everybody who comments on your Instagram post to come to your phone. We don't need that. We don't need it. Turn off the notifications that are unnecessary. All right. And also one more tip here is understanding where your prime time is. So what do I mean by that? Your prime time of productivity, of creativity, of get up and go, accomplish things. You want to leverage that so that you can build the life that you want. And what tends to happen is we will unknowingly outsource our prime time to other people's needs, right? So maybe your prime time is first thing in the morning and you're, you got goals. You're like, I'm going to get up. I'm going to write you know, one chapter of my book today, I'm going to write 10 pages today, or I'm going to fill in the blank. You know, I'm going to work on this new program that I've been wanting to create for my students. Then you go to your phone and, you know, you see there's some emails and then you dive into the emails, right? You're starting the day with other people's agendas, right? Instead of handling your business first. Because the thing is, do you need to do that first thing? Is that email the priority? Is it essential that you do that at 5 a.m. versus when you clock in at 8 a.m. or whatever the case might be, utilize your prime time, stop outsourcing it to others. So what that might mean is maybe we don't go to our phone first thing in the morning, right? So maybe you give yourself 30 minutes of just me time without picking up your phone. And I know some people right now, they're like, Sean, but that's not, it's my alarm. That's what I use for my alarm. If you've got a problem with the phone where you pick up your phone in the bed and then you just get on that bad boy, you get to scrolling. Listen. We might need an intervention, okay? This would be a, an ideal opportunity. I'm just going to throw this out there. No judgment. I'm hella judging right now. No, I'm just kidding. No judgment. No judgment. This might be an opportunity for you to get a real alarm clock, okay? They still exist. I promise you. I actually just saw my alarm clock. Uh, that This true story, it was actually behind a curtain in our bedroom. Like I, I didn't even know where it was. Because, you know, I've created this routine to where I'm just generally I'm getting up before the alarm goes off, right? So the alarm for me, yeah, I actually do have it on my phone, but it's in another room. Like it's in the bathroom. And so I got to actually get up and go to it. But, you know, to be honest, nine out of 10 times, more than that, I'm up before the alarm. And oftentimes I don't need the alarm. I don't even turn it on because I have my day kind of managed to where I have a buffer. And so there's many ways of going about this. 
because that's another thing. It could be difficult for you to get out of bed in the morning because you got your phone right there. You could just hit the snooze and you're not getting up and getting after your day. And we get mistaken that we're getting a few minutes extra sleep, but it is really chitty sleep, all right? CH, chitty sleep when we're falling back from getting shaken up by an alarm, drifting back in for a couple extra minutes of low quality sleep, and then getting ourselves to the place where we have to rush. That's no way to start a day, all right? And I know we've all done it before, but we can hack our environment and our brain so that we're no longer subscribing to those behaviors, right? So put your alarm across the room to where you actually got to get up if you do, in fact, need an alarm, all right? So take control of your morning. You know, I know people that literally they put their phone in their car in the evening because they already know who they are. If it's around, they're going to they're gonna dabble, all right? So create some space between you and the distraction, the infinite distraction that is our smartphones. All right, not that we can't utilize them to great reward and benefit. And there are many people right now, we're listening on a smartphone right now and it's beautiful. But you put that in at your own time, on your own schedule, rather than it controlling you. All right, so again, super powerful stuff, very practical tools and strategies to increase our ability to comprehend information, to learn faster, to learn people's names, to eliminate distractions. And also part of that morning routine could be things that are good for your brain as well. You know, a ritual for a lot of folks is having that morning cup of coffee, kind of getting them online in a sense. And we've got to understand that this, again, this practice has been done for thousands of years of utilizing coffee and caffeinated beverages like mate, uh, cacao. It's been done for a very long time. It's not that these things are suddenly not applicable or not good for you. It's the way that the modern human utilizes them with low quality coffee beans that are riddled with pesticides and toxic molds and all kinds of other nasty contaminants. And also not respecting the process because when it's higher quality, it resonates better with our cells. Caffeine and human cells have this really remarkable interaction. It is a nervous system interactive substance. So when we're talking about the brain, it truly does impact our brain in a really interesting way. For example, a recent study published in the journal Practical Neurology details how regularly drinking coffee has been shown to help prevent cognitive decline and reduce the risk of developing Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. That's, that's crazy. That is amazing. Why do people not know this? And part of it, again, the quality of these things matter. If you're having coffee along with neurotoxins, aka pesticides and herbicides and rodenticides, that's a bit of a problem. That's anti-brain health. So having organic, high-quality coffee, plus researchers at Stanford University recently found that caffeine that's found in coffee is able to defend against age-related inflammation. The research revealed that light to moderate coffee drinkers, key, light to moderate, all right, so there's a bell-shaped curve here. Light to moderate coffee drinkers live longer and more healthfully, thanks in part to the protection caffeine provides by suppressing genes related to inflammation. All right, crazy remarkable stuff. But what if you had the brain boosting power of organic coffee plus high quality organic medicinal mushrooms like lion's mane that's clinically proven to 
stimulate neurogenesis, the creation of new brain cells, according to researchers at the University of Malaya. Wow, you've got something really special. That's what I had today. For most days, I'm starting my day with the Lion's Mane Chaga-infused organic coffee from Four Sigmatic. Go to foursigmatic.com forward slash model. That's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C. And you get an exclusive 10% off discount of their incredible coffee blends. And also they have a really, really great hot cocoa drink as well that most mornings, even this morning, I made for my youngest son, Brayden. He loves to have his little hot cocoa, hot cacao, high quality organic cacao, while my wife and I have our mushroom infused coffee. It's just a part of our daily routine. I've never felt any of those weird side effects that folks feel with having too much coffee and caffeine and anything like that. So folks that tend to have a more sensitive system like I do, this is something that we can lean on because the caffeine content is a bit lower and it's also melding with the chaga and the lion's mane. It's hitting these flavor notes where it really tastes amazing, blended with some high quality fats as well, maybe a couple of drops of some high quality stevia or something like that. You know, dress it up. Today, I actually had a little bit. I'll tell you what I had actually. I'm going to share. So I had the organic coffee and I blended that bad boy with some grass-fed butter, with some MCT oil, with some cinnamon, and a little bit of Sheila G. What do you know about Sheila G? Sheila G, the translation of the word equates to something like the destroyer of weakness, right? This destroyer of weakness. So I'll do some fancy things, but my base every morning is my Four Sigmatic coffee. Head over there, check them out, foursigmatic.com forward slash model. Now, I know that we've covered some game-changing insights already, but we've really got to drive this point home. And we're going to hear more from New York Times bestselling author and accelerating learning expert, Jim Quick, because right now we've got to address these particular issues that he's going to target. Number one, how to strengthen your decision-making muscles, how to find a balance between logic and emotional thinking, how valuable is that today, and also some strategies on how to recover from making inevitable mistakes in life and in learning. This one's really powerful as well and so much more. So check out this additional segment from the one and only Jim Quick. Our life right now is a reflection of our thinking because how we think determines what we focus on. It mm -hmm. determines how we feel. It determines what we do. And right. so really the sum of our thinking really reflects our day-to-day -day life and our, in our relationships, in our health, in our habits, in our career. You know, I always thought it was interesting back in school, they teach you more what to think, but not how to think. Right, right. And I think that's one of the big challenges in a world where everything is being outsourced overseas, you know, jobs, mm -hmm. right? Or it's being automated. Uh, there's software that could do a lot of, you know, left brain jobs, or there's, uh, you know, something like artificial intelligence. You know, what, what, what do we have as human beings? What makes us human and makes us valuable in, in life, in the workplace? And I think it's our ability to think, our ability to solve problems, our ability right. to make really good decisions. Right. Um, but I think, <laughs> but I think um, it's one of those things people take for granted because we're not just conscious of our thinking. They say we have an average of what, 60,000 thoughts a day. The challenge is 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts we had yesterday and the day before that. Mm -hmm. So how do we create growth? How do we stretch ourselves um, to new levels? And um, 
So I love this because I feel like you make one little distinction in the way you think differently. And there's that Oliver Wendell Holmes quote that says, a man's you know, a mind once stretched by a new idea never regains its original dimensions. Mm -hmm. And so I want people to be able to think in a way that makes them more productive, yeah. allows them to perform better, allows them also greater peace of mind. Yeah. Because in this world of, we've had this conversation in past episodes about digital distraction and digital depression right. and digital overload. It's really, it's weighing on people's health. You know, this world where people are comparing themselves to other people on social media world, where they're comparing themselves to this highly filtered life of, you know, every, highlight reel of everyone else's life. But that all comes down to our ability to think, right. the ability to think for ourselves to produce new results. That's so, so powerful, man. Because thinking is everything, really, you know, it's, our, and I've said this before, our perception is our reality. Mm. And it all has to do with what we're thinking and how we're thinking about ourself in relation to our environment, ourself in relation to ourself. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's of the utmost importance for us to really understand our thinking a little bit more. And that's why I'm really happy to have you on today. But also, how can we optimize our thinking? You know, so one of the first things I want to ask you about has to do with decision making, because that's mm. a big component of our thinking that has a huge impact on the results we get in our lives. So what are some of the new insights, some of the things you've been coming across lately in teaching in regards to decision-making? Yeah, I, I can't think uh, exactly that, that our life is a reflection of all the decisions, the sum total of all the decisions we made to this point, you know, where we're gonna live, what we're gonna do, who we're gonna be with and such. And so these daily decisions, a lot of people are suffering from decision fatigue. You know this. Mm -hmm. And it's a big health concern. It's just people are, are wasting their mental energy on decisions that really don't matter in their life. And really, I think it comes down to, I, I tweeted this a few years ago. I said, the most important thing is to keep the most important thing, the most important thing. Mm. The most important thing is to keep the most important thing, the most important thing, because people are getting really good at things that don't really matter, or right. they're using their decisions on things that really don't matter. Um, you know, we've had this conversation in the past about some leaders who are wearing the same outfit pretty much every day because they don't want to waste one of their good decisions. You know, they buy 10 of those shirts, so they yeah. don't have to think about, or meal prep, and they don't want to be able to waste that. But um, I did a podcast recently, and I called it how to work smart versus working hard. And everyone always says, yes, of course, I want to work smarter and not harder. Um, I filmed it actually in a power plant, an actual power plant. And I opened it with this story that basically said this, one day this really busy power plant just shuts down out of nowhere and it's dead silent. And the employees are running around with their, in their head cut off, not knowing what to do. The operations manager you know, after hours, doesn't know what to do. Nobody could solve the problem. So the operations manager picks up the phone, calls a local technician. And luckily the technician was in the area and he says, you got to help me. You know, we're losing all this business. You know, time is money. We're going to shut down. Please save us. He was like, technician's like, you're lucky. I'm right around the corner. He shows up and he walks around the, uh, the power plant and he goes to one beam. Now this power plant is full of different beams, right? And on those beams have all these different electrical boxes. And he goes to one specific electrical box and he takes out a marker and he puts a big X on it. And he opens up the box and inside, as you would expect, there are bolts, there are wires, there are screws. Out of all of that, he goes to one specific screw. He turns it not a quarter of an inch and then bam, the entire power plant lights up. Mm. And the technician's like, thank you so much. You saved the day. You saved our business. How much do I owe you? 
And the technician looks at him and he says, that will be $10,000. And then the operations manager is like, you must be crazy. You were here for five minutes. All you did was turn one screw. Any of us could have turned that screw. He's like, give me an itemized bill. And he's like, no problem. Technician reaches in his back pocket, takes out his notebook, scribbles on it for a second, tears out the page, gives it to the operations manager. The operations manager looks at it and says, I understand. He goes to his de desk, takes out his checkbook, writes a check for $10,000, hands it to the man. And you zoom in on that bill and it says this, turning screw, $1. Knowing what screw to turn, $9,999. And my message yeah. to everybody who's listening is not that you have a screw loose. Is <laughs> it's really it's two things. Number one, we live in the the knowledge economy where it's knowledge is not only power, it's profit, right? Specialized knowledge. That's why I love your show, and I learned so much because it's not just the have and the have nots. It's those who know and those who don't know. Mm -hmm right? Than those who know wellness and optimization and human performance and those who just don't know better. And so there's that gap. And that's why I dedicate my life to accelerated learning. But the other reason I tell this story is not only so you could be an expert at what you do is that there are usually one or two screws, you know, there's one beam, there's one box, one or two screws that really are what I call a, a focal point, a mm -hmm. focal point. It's one or two things. They call it, other people have called it a lead domino, right? One of the first early dominoes you hit and it knocks down other things. Uh, in military, they call it a forced multiplier, meaning that for the same amount of input, you get multiple outputs or multiple right. rewards. So my life, um, based on, you know, you know, my learning difficulties that I had growing up from my head injury, you know, my, uh, my sleep issues, which you've helped me a lot with, those deficits has created a really a big drive in me wanting to get the most out of the energy that I have. When we're talking about resources, like um, like going back to MacGyver, he has very little resources, but he has a lot of internal resourcefulness. And mm -hmm. I feel like every single person listening to this has a lot of internal resourcefulness. It's things that might not be on a, on a, on a, on an asset sheet, but there are things like your creativity, your decision-making, your ability to solve problems, your ability to meta think, you know, think about your thinking, your self-awareness. And, um, that's really the owner's manual. And so when it comes to decision-making, I'm really excited about this because again, if you could just think about some of the bad decisions we've made in our life and the cost that it's had for us, um, I'm a big proponent on, you know, we've had this conversation about mistakes and a lot of people, as we grow older, we're afraid of making mistakes and we're not making decisions. And even I would say not like failing to make a decision is also a decision. Mm, you know what I mean? Is, yeah, this, sure. You know, like when people have a decision about what to eat or not, they go into default mode, they're still making a decision. So I feel like part of it is decision is uh, it's an, it's a fitness. So you want to build your decision-making muscles because a lot of people are so lackadaisical, you know, over the, like what's important to them. So they don't really build those muscles. So they don't have that, um, that strength, if you will. Um, but then there's also strategies besides fitness, just like um, in past episodes, we've talked about uh, memory fitness and how even if you don't use a strategy like on how to remember names you could still remember names because your brain is, is fitter it's stronger it's more energized it's stronger just like your physical muscles um, you could also do that with your thinking muscles and so there are strategies also so for example 
one of my favorite one is a really it's it's classic it's called six thinking hats and um it's a great model because i feel like a lot of people aren't able to solve a problem or make a new better decision because they're stuck from one point of view do you know what i mean yeah. it's like you wonder why the same you somebody maybe dates the same person or they make the same mistake financially in a business. They hire the same people, mm -hmm. um, or maybe they they do the same problem with their 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 diet. They they always fall in the same pattern. It's because we never really get out of our own way and see things from another point of view. One of the reasons why I love podcasts is that, or reading books, is you get to see something from an author or an expert's point of view, mm -hmm. and it gives you another pers perspective. And in order to change your perspective, I, I remember we did that event that you spoke at. Um, along with you know a, like a luminous you know, group of individuals, your peers, and we had Quincy Jones was one of them, yeah. and he was talking about you know getting perspective that you have to two ways of changing your perspective is changing your place or changing the people you spend time with, because we know that who you spend time with is who you become, because one of the better one of a good way of making better decisions is spend time with people who make good decisions mm. because you know this uh, from your nervous system um, and neuroscience you have mirror neurons and mirror neurons are your um, put it like simplify it there are your imitation neurons the reason why it's not just your biological networks or your neurological networks it's your social networks because they say if you spend time with nine broke people you're gonna be the tenth Mm. And it's because you're constantly imitating people around you and not just their behavior. You're imitating also, you're adopting their beliefs, you're adopting their values, you're adopting their habits, right? And we know from habits, you know, first you create your habits and then your habits create you. Right. And it's not just your habits of meditation and movement and journaling. Those are important, but really what I'm very, those are on the physical plane, if you will, but it's also the internal changes that are going on inside. Because when you're constantly doing something and you show up for it, you know, as you've heard this phrase, as, as you do anything is how you do everything, right? You start the habit of, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm somebody who follows through. Like that's an identity level. I mean, that's really deep because you change if the, one of the most powerful ways to, to make a transformation stick is to change how you look at yourself. You know, they say that the two most powerful words in the English language are I am, mm. right? Because whatever you put after that determines your your destiny or your, you know, your destination in your life. And so one of the ways of changing your identity is by having these habits because it's like you show up. You show up, and when you show up constantly, all of a sudden you start looking at yourself different, and you st and that's really powerful to look at yourself as somebody who shows up, you know, in life because that will ripple into all your different behaviors. But going back to the uh, six thinking hats, this is a way of changing your perspective. Meaning, a lot of people don't make new decisions because they're stuck in one mode. And so, the summary of it, uh, it was created by Edward de Bono, and he metaphorically created six color hats and then when you imagine and we know imagination is more powerful than knowledge you imagine yourself putting on this color hat mm -hmm. you have to look at this decision or this problem through that lens mm -hmm. so for example let's take the um the white hat when somebody puts on a white hat metaphorically and i'll give you some memory aids because you know i'm the memory guy white is imagine like a, a doctor's uh uniform right or a scientist is, is in white that reminds you of logic 
So let's say I want everybody right now, we'll make this interactive, to think about a decision that you're struggling with or think about a problem that you need to solve. And I think everybody has one of those things, right? Uh, going back to Quincy Jones, remember on stage, I was asking him like about the problems he had, not just the successes, but the problems. He was like, Jim, I don't have any problems. He was like, I have puzzles. And that's a different way of talking yeah. about thinking, a different way of thinking about something. Because for me, when I think about problems, I'm like, oh, something I have to deal with. And I don't know if I would be able to handle this, but puzzles like fun. Yeah. Puzzles have a solution. So it's a different way of thinking because the words change the way we think also. But going back to this, when you put your put on, you think about a problem or decision you have right now, you put on, imagine yourself putting on the white hat and actually physically like grab mm -hmm. something in front of you and put it on so you have your kinesthetic, um, your, your, your muscles in it. And you have to look at the problem or the decision just based on facts yeah. and logic, right? So that's the only way. And that's great for, for, for individuals because some people don't, they're not used to doing it, but when they have that hat on, it forces you to look through that perspective. Right. To be honest with yourself. And exactly, I think a lot of times we're lying to ourselves on how, how complicated or difficult it might be. Right. And so actually using logic can right. really help to get rid of some so that's of like mystery. your that's like your spock hat you know for those yeah. for people who follow the star trek you have to look at the issue completely logically and more science-based now another color or hat. data data shout out to data yeah by there the you way. go next generation by the way that guy was born to play that role oh my god brent oh yeah completely so you have to look at it analytically and even if you don't feel like that's you you play it make it a game you know and we, we've said this you and i have said this before that it's not that you stop playing because you grew older you grew older because you stopped playing yeah. and so this is a thinking exercise a thought experiment if you will because this is an episode all about maximizing your thinking that's what einstein used to do yeah. einstein used to do these what he called thought experiments right. you know these imagination um, experiments and this is what we're doing right now so you put on the white hat and then you have to look at it through uh, logic you take off the white hat now i want you to put on the red hat so imagine yourself reaching out in front of you putting on the red hat and the red hat uh, represents as a mnemonic device uh, red is emotion red is heart so i want you to think about now how does this make you feel mm. so this is this gives you permission because some people look at everything logically but they don't go with their feelings yeah right and that we know that's that's a superpower also as well Absolutely. so think about this problem that you have maybe it's somebody you need to hire maybe it's somebody in a relationship whether or not you want to enter a relationship or maybe exit a relationship yeah. you know maybe it's something you have to do with your health um, think about it now from a emotional standpoint so you're wearing the red hat and by the way some folks ignore that part exactly it's more bent on logic yeah, right. and not being honest about how do i feel about this mm -hmm. or even just asking ourselves how do i feel about this situation exactly and then by when we're talking about being a better thinker this gives you more perspective this right. gives you a spectrum or a rainbow if you will uh, points of view so you can see something we've we've heard of the like the elephant right where there's an elephant there and you have these blind monks and they're reaching out and they can't see but they just feel and one of them's feeling like the the tail and thinks the elephant is a snake and one of them is feeling like the the leg of the elephant thinks it's a tree right everyone sees different parts or feels different parts but they don't see the whole and through this exercise you get to see it from these different points of views so what are other different color hats take off the red hat and now what you're going to do is you're going to put on the black hat so you put on the black hat now a mnemonic device the black hat is the is the critic all right so what i want you to think about for a memory aid from your memory coach is um, imagine a judge in black robes right that's the one that's going to judge right so now i want you to look at this and think about what could go wrong here 
you know, you can meta yourself and think, be the critic here, give yourself, but some people live with the black hat and they're just critical about everything. Right. You know what I mean? But it yeah, makes absolutely. sense because that's how they were raised, right. you know, through, and it through can be nurture. Valuable. Exactly. Yeah. And it could save you from making mistakes and everything, but you don't see the whole, the whole picture. And so the black hat, when you put that on, look at this problem or this decision and think about it, like what could go wrong here? You know, and that, you know, what, you know, think about your plan B and such. Um, any negative consequences. Take off the black hat. And now what you're going to do is you're going to put on the yellow hat. Now, the yellow hat is the opposite of the uh, of the black hat. Yellow is like the sun. It's opportunity. Mm. So what could go what could go right here? Mm. So that's the more of the if the black is more the wow. critic, the yellow is more the opportunistic, like more of the uh, this is like what what are the benefits that could come right. out and of making the decision scenario exactly the and outcome now, you want now some people eventually. live with the yellow hat you know like a lot of entrepreneurs do this and they just yeah. look at oh the rosy <laughs> side of everything and right. they only see that and then they wonder why you know they don't look at the the risk they don't look at the threats they don't look at the weaknesses or the competition or anything that could go wrong they just move towards anything that's pleasurable and that's not necessarily good either um, so we went, we went through this, we go through the red and we went through the white, we went through the red, we went through the, the black and then the yellow, the green hat is, um, is the growth hat. So this is where you need to make a decision or solve a problem. And when you put on the green hat, green is like growth. It's like plant life. It's like growing grass, right? And so this is where you're thinking out of the box. This is the, the hat you wear where it's like, what could be a, a an out-of-the-box new something we're not even thinking about solution to this whole thing um, a different way of looking at it so green is growth um, and then finally the the last hat is the the blue hat and I say the last the blue for last um, because the blue is kind of like the manager of all the other hats mm -hmm. it listens to all the other perspectives the, the one with the black hat the white hat the yellow hat the red hat the green hat and blue is like the sky it oversees everything else mm. and so it listens to everything and then it makes the decision mm -hmm. because it heard all the different points of view could weigh it from different perspectives and then that's that's your answer if you yeah. will and so this is kind of a fun strategy and I, I would really encourage everyone who's listening not just you know this knowledge knowledge is not power we've talked about this all the podcasts and the online programs and the coaching and the seminars they don't work unless you work so what I would challenge everybody who's listening to do is this is maybe maybe take a screenshot of this episode, post it, tag both of us, and you know, and share with us a decision that you applied this to, yeah. you know, because then you really get to feel it and see how it works in your life. But I've heard I've been I've been sharing this for about twenty years, um, and again, it's, I didn't create this this actual model. It's Edward de Bono. Um, but I've heard so many great testimonials from people yeah. and great, amazing stories about their relationship, about their health, yeah. about big decisions they had to make, about where they're going to live and their career. And and, uh, and it makes sense, right? Absolutely. So you're not we, stuck in one point of view. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say, because we tend to get stuck in our way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And we have access to so many different ways of thinking, like inherently in us. Right. And so it's just having, first of all, just giving permission like you just did to think differently. And here's how you do it, you know, put on this hat and look at this situation. And so for myself personally, I just want to share this. I had started to get more into this kind of um, fact-based thinking, you know, about certain decisions in my life. And that's, that's a big part of my natural approach. 
but there's a, also the big feeling part. Mm-hmm. And I started to lessen the feeling part. And so I was going on more of things of, you know, these are things that I should do, logically speaking. Right. Right. But they didn't feel right. And lo and behold, when I keep taking steps in that direction, it just didn't work out right. Because I wasn't acknowledging, like, literally your feelings oftentimes will give you direct feedback. Right. But you cannot just get caught up in your feelings because feelings can be very temporary. Of course, of you course. Know? So I love this kind of whole brain, whole being thinking. Mm. And man, thank you so much for sharing that. That's just like blowing my mind right Absolutely, now. Absolutely, Sean. I, I would encourage also when everyone's listening to this, that this doesn't have to just apply to your life. This works really well for teams. So let's say, uh, you know, you're, you're, your business, let's say you're a small business entrepreneur, you have a small group of five individuals on your team and you're facing something that's, uh, you know, an issue in your industry or something internally, like, what should you do this product or should you, you know, stop doing this show or whatever you need to do is yeah. get everybody in a room and then take turns wearing these different hats. Yeah. This is also great for parents to teach their children at an early age. Yeah because it builds empathy. It allows you to, you know, even if I've had parents actually make out of, you know, different color pieces of paper, like these actual hats, mm-hmm. and they'll take their children through <laughs> these exercises. Yeah. Children will have a question about school, they'll have a question about, you know, going to some, whatever their decision is, and then you could play with this with them also as well. So Love it's that. not just your own benefit, you could do this with your team, your family, and uh, and more. This is something super valuable to for ourselves to practice, but also to teach and instill in other folks this concept of divergent thinking mm-hmm. and being able to really, quote, think outside of the box and just look at things from all these different perspectives. It's so interesting how many creative solutions there are to the same problem. Mm-hmm. But when we're in it, we can think that there's this problem and I don't know how to solve it. When there are like tens, hundreds of different solutions for it, but we have to be divergent in it. So, man, I love that so much. And it's an incredibly valuable skill to have right now when we're talking about skill-based success, uh, meaning that um, you're, when we talked about a lot of jobs are going overseas or there being AI is going to replace them or auto, you know automation is the three areas that computers aren't as easily going to be able to do that is three areas, creativity, right, which is a thinking process, imagination, right, because think about the entertainment industry think about all these wonderful superhero movies you and i geek out about that comes from somebody's imagination and then the third thing a computer is not going to be able to do as well as a, as a human at least not yet is strategy these these and so be able to make these kind of good decisions and solve problems that's our value in society an entrepreneur is nothing but a professional problem solver mm-hmm. right they're taking challenges whether they're small life challenges or grand big challenges that are going on you know, the planet is facing right now. Yeah, I love this. I love the six hats and I also love what you shared and it's just like still blowing my mind right now. <laughs> if you wanna start making better decisions, get yourself around people making good decisions because we are inherently, we just are, we, we become our environment. Yeah. So if you know somebody in your life who has a tendency to make good decisions, get, get be around that person more often. Those mirror neurons can do their work. And what you said earlier, as soon as you mentioned um, some really high, highly successful folks taking a decision off the table because we do get this decision fatigue. Like at the end of the day, after you've done a lot of stuff, you just don't care. You right, know, it's right. like, whatever, what, what do you want for dinner? Whatever, right? <laughs> and having them wear the same thing every day, like somebody's coming with that approach. Mm-hmm. I think I saw Dr. Dre did that. That He's got a great documentary, The Defiant Ones. He's got like these, I think they're white, 
Air Force Ones he wears every day. But, you know, he's kind of frivolous. So he has like a new pair okay. every day and like the same outfit. And it's just kind of weird. And the same thing with some other folks as well. And But that also made me think about Kingpin as well. On <laughs> I'm just saying it might be a little psychotic, but hey, they're winning, right. you know, so let's just be real about it. You have it. all the superheroes. Batman wears the same outfit, you know, right. as Spider-Man. I wear these, I wear this brain shirt pretty much every day. Well, at least you, you know, I would hope you got a couple of them. Yeah, I do. So we talked a little bit about decisions mm -hmm. and becoming a better problem solver, which just blew my mind with that. Let's talk about, because one of the things that tends to happen, we make decisions and we might make a bad decision. Right. Or something that we feel is a bad decision, something that's cost us. What can we do to recover? Is there anything that you know about that can help yeah. us to recover from making mistakes? Absolutely. And so when we're talking about mistakes, I think a lot of people don't make progress in their life because of the fear of judgment, the fear of looking bad. A lot of people won't go to that that exercise at the gym because they're brand new. And I think that's something that's very important to get over. And I'll, I'll talk about first, you know, a lot of people won't make mistakes to begin with, but mistakes are just a sign that we're trying something, right? It's similar to uh, a child who's learning how to walk. You wouldn't see it, your child stumble a few times and just be like, okay, don't try this anymore. You're looking really <laughs> bad. Don't yeah. walk. Walking's not for you. Um, but as we grow older, sometimes we're so concerned about other people's opinions and expectations. So I would, I know a lot of your listeners take notes. I would write this down and just put it by your computer or something. It's just, you can go broke buying into the opinions and expectations of other people. And um, when I was working, I help a lot of actors speed read scripts, um, have focus on set, memorize their lines faster. And I remember when I was working with Jim Carrey and we were making guacamole of all things in his kitchen, which is a great brain food. Uh, by the way, what you eat matters, especially for your gray matter. Um, so we're making this, uh, and I'm asking him the same question I ask a lot of people, um, like, why do you do what you do? I'm very interested in human motivation because that's a thinking process. And, uh, and I find out that the reason why he acts so insane, if you will, or extreme on set is because he wants to give everybody who's watching permission to be themselves. And I feel like, and he calls mm. it freeing people from the concern of others. You know, that's quote unquote his religion, freeing other people from the concern of other people. Yeah. And I feel like constantly we're mitigating ourselves or a way we could express ourselves because we're scared of how we're going to look. We're scared of, you know, of, of judgment um, and, and what critics are going to say. But the critics, I mean, that's the easiest job in the world because all they do is they don't have to do anything. They can just criticize other people who are trying to do things. Yeah. So my first comment on when it comes to mistakes is, you've all heard this before, but in order to learn, you have to make mistakes. That's how we learn because yeah. there's no such thing as failure. People think failure is the opposite of success. But I, I feel like, you know, in you and I, the people that we get to spend time with and we get to interview for our shows and such and our personal experience, failure is not the opposite of success. It's, it's part of success, yeah. right? And I feel like there's no such thing as failure. There's only failure to learn because if you're getting feedback, then you know what to do different. And um, I just did a, a podcast episode with Beth Comstock, who's the former vice chair of General Electric, which is all about imagination. And she has a new book called um, Imagine It Forward and the Power of Imagination. And we're talking about you know, um, Edison, who started um, General Electric. And, 
and he was a great marketer. But obviously, you know, you've all heard that he tried. He was like, oh, I didn't fail thousands of times to make the light bulb. I, you know, I succeeded in learning what not to do, right? right. And so it's, it's, a, it's a mindset. So I would say first start with making more mistakes and fail forward and give yourself permission. But the big thing is how do you recover from a mistake? And I would give everyone, I like acronyms, you know this, because we've talked about this in other shows on how to remember names and speed read, I use acronyms. Um, what I would say is put the mistake behind you and make it old. And so the acronym is O-L-D. Um, I want everyone to think about a mistake that they are holding on to, because I think a lot of us have regret mm. and they live in the past. But I always tell people, if you live, if you're living in the past, then you're dying in the present. Mm. You know, because you're always looking in that rear view mirror and then you can't be here, right? And so you can learn from the past, and but you got to live for today and then you could, you know, lead your legacy tomorrow. And and so remember old. And so the O in someone, as everyone right now, we make this interactive because this, we don't want to make this theoretical. You make it relevant to you. Think about a mistake you're holding on to. You want to make it old. The O is you need to own it. You need to own that. And here's a few things that will allow you to own it. The A is you need to be accountable for it. Okay, so I'm going to give you a few A's. And here's the first A. Be accountable for it because you need to take responsibility for it. You and I have talked about the time I've spent with Stan Lee, the co-creator of all these amazing yeah. Spider-Man, X-Men, Avengers. And, you know, and he told me in the car one day you know he was like who's your favorite superhero i was like spider-man he's like with great power comes great responsibility and in my mind you know because i have my learning difficulties i reverse things and i was like stan you know you're right but the opposite is also true with great responsibility comes great power mm. when we take responsibility for something even our mistakes we have great power to make things better and so first thing is you make a you to become accountable for it um the another a is just acknowledge that you're human you know, acknowledge that it is a mistake and that you made it because some people deny the, and you know, they deny that they made that mistake. And that's a challenge also as well. So you need to be able to acknowledge it in order to be able to, because some people, what you resist persists and they fight with it and they try to defend it. And, but if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. And so just acknowledge it. Um, another A is apologize, you know, apologize. If you've hurt somebody, if this mistake cost somebody else outside of you apologize to that person you know you can keep it brief but be clear yeah. and apologize in a way that is sincere yeah. obviously mean it exactly yeah. because people i mean we all have this radar we know if something's sincere or not Absolutely. but but apologize for it because that's a way of owning it you apologize for it you know explain if you need to why it happened and explain how it's never gonna you know happen again if yeah. you will and if you, and if you really mean it you're not expecting the other person to necessarily do anything differently it's mm. you're apologizing for yourself absolutely and the potential for healing absolutely i agree with that completely so you're accountable for it right and you you're you, you acknowledge it you apologize for it and maybe you need to apologize to yourself also okay. because forgiveness goes a long way you know i've spent a lot of time on uh especially with my brain injury, you know, through going through spec scans and having my brain analyzed, you know, neurofeedback. And one of the best ways to get into those deep healing states, um, the number one way that I found from personal experience is forgiveness. And um, studies done in self-compassion say that when you don't beat yourself up, because a lot of people they are really hard on themselves. You know, they ate that cupcake, right? Or they didn't work out that day, or they were a little short with their 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 child or whatever it is. 
and they beat themselves up. And we find in the studies that actually kindness goes farther when you're kind to yourself, meaning that, you know, you say, you know, I'm only, I'm human. I had a long day and I did make a mistake, but you're kind with yourself as opposed to beating yourself up. You're more likely to follow through in the future. So the O in old is you make the, the mistake old is you own it. Yeah. You're accountable. You acknowledge it. You apologize for it. The L in old stands for, of course, learn from it. Right. And like the whole idea behind making mistakes is that what, where was, where's the gift in this? You know, and I ask that myself all the time when there's a mistake that's made either by myself or somebody around me is like, where's, where's the gift? And usually the gift comes from a new distinction that you have or a new learning. And so when I'm doing this and I'm making a mistake and I've made a mistake, what I'll do is I'll even journal about it a little bit because I was like, what was my intention here? You know, what was the environment that allowed this mistake for happen? Was I multitasking? Was I taking too much, uh, you know, taking on too much? Was I exhausted and I didn't sleep the night before? Like what, 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 was, what created this environment for this mistake to happen? What did I not have enough information, right? And so I think that reflection is very important because otherwise what happens is you don't handle the, the D, which so, so the O again, is you own it. The L is you learn from it. And a big part of it for me is I journal about it because I like to write about it and reflect on it. Otherwise there's no learning from it. And then the D stands for don't repeat it. Don't repeat mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Because if you truly learn from it, then you're not going to repeat it because the first time you did, you know, it, it's a mistake. But the second time you do it, it's a choice. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people, they say, and you've heard this phrase, in self-improvement forever, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And, you know, I don't know if that's insanity. Maybe it's just a poor memory <laughs> because you don't remember the lesson that came from it. And I feel like a lot of people repeat mistakes and the decent again says, don't repeat it because they don't remember the lesson or the pain that came. Mm -hmm. So they end up dating the same kind of person. Yeah. Right, they say they make the same kind of mistake with their health over and over again, or they hire the same person, or they, they again, you know, wait and procrastinate on their taxes, or whatever those things are. And in order to not repeat it, I would say a few things. Maybe I'll make them. I like iteration. Maybe a few P's. Um, and I did a whole episode on this that went deep in it about making mistakes. P is like prepare next time. You know, when you learn it, you know, and you journal about it prepare for the next time i would say plan when you know something this situation could come up in the future plan ahead and that would prevent you from making that kind of mistake because these thought experiments using your imagination to project into the future and really imagination is really rehearsal you know when you're when somebody is fearful that they're going to make a mistake whether it's public speaking and you know this like a lot of people one of the big fears is people when you and i go to events even people don't know like backstage you know a lot of our peers are really scared to go on stage and do yeah. their work but they're such so mission driven they have a moral obligation to do it so that's the motivation but preparation is just a signal to your mind you know fear is just meaning you need to prepare more and so I would say the D is don't repeat it because if you really did own, if you really do own it and you really did learn from it, then don't repeat that because then, then it's a choice. Jim, this is so powerful <laughs> because people, even you asking me about, you know, what have I done to get to the place that I'm at personally? Exactly. And it's literally like this formula that you just mentioned. 
I'm very, very big on learning from my mistakes. I'm very, very passionate about it. But it starts with owning it and saying, you know, this is my responsibility. This is my bad. Even if it's not directly like you did the thing. Mm -hmm. If you were involved and you put something in position or you made the choice to be involved in something, taking responsibility for whatever you can, because yeah. it gives you the part, the opportunity to actually learn from it then. Mm. And so learning from it and then don't repeat it because right. man, like I want, I want that lesson because you better believe like, I've got this one. I'm not going to do that again. Exactly. You know, so just like I cut the cord, you mm -hmm. know, and so if people can start to embrace this and this, I love this so powerful, this acronym of old and man, it's like, it, it is old, you know, yeah, you got to let this stuff go but in the past. Yeah. And that's the other thing when it comes to mistakes is when I was talking about forgiveness, it's just, you are not your mistakes. You know, your, your mistakes don't define you, but how you deal with those mistakes can define you. And I'm saying that using this model of OLD, and I, again, going back to thinking, because this conversation has been all about thinking, I wish they taught this back in school, because this is our ability to, to make mistakes and to grow through mistakes. I feel like when we do these things also, it, it increases our integrity with other people, because they see we own it, that we learn from it, and we don't repeat it. Right. And, um, and I love what you said about how it falls on your shoulder, that even if somebody on your team did something, ultimately you had a part in it because maybe you hired that person right. or it was a manager yeah. and you take you responsibility. you gave them the job and we could appreciate, or the task. And we always appreciate leaders who do that yeah. because we, we are forgiving when we see somebody is, is growing from their mistakes and they're not putting it on somebody else and making somebody else blaming and all the other stuff. And we stay in our power. And yes, there could be some short-term pain like there is doing a lot of any kind of growth but i think that even you know if you do the easy thing which is procrastinate and put it off and not take responsibility then life gets really hard absolutely but if you do the hard things and you own it and you apologize for it and you do everything you can to make it better and learn from it then life gets a lot easier definitely i want to ask you about one more thing yes There's so many things i could talk to you about. yeah that's i'm honored to be here i'm just thinking about some of the biggest issues that we tend to have Mm -hmm. uh, as 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 humans, but also as people, especially the Model Health Show community, people who are involved in this mission and this movement are really d growth driven. Like we want right. to be the best us possible. You yeah. know, we want to have the health that we truly want. We want to have the relationships. We want to have the careers that we want. But a big barrier for that is it's it's oftentimes not the environment. It's ourselves. Mm. We are our biggest trap door. Right, this self-sabotage, we set ourselves up for failure. So can you talk a little bit about the the idea of self-sabotage and any kind of insights you can offer to people to kind of move past that? Completely, I mean, this comes down to, again, how we think about things and how we think about ourselves and how we think about our behaviors. And I'll give somebody who's listening this, I think everyone can relate to taking one step forward towards a goal and then taking two steps back. Right? Why do we do things that could harm ourselves in the long term? Or we procrastinate. We, we know we need to do something, but we put it off and we don't have the discipline. And um, I'll give everyone a framework for this. Everybody's always trying to wonder why they're not doing a behavior. Why am I not working out today? Why am I not eating right today? Why am I not reading 30 minutes a day? Why am I not journaling or meditating, right? But they could use willpower and motivation, but it only gets you so far because there are other levels that they're not being addressed. Above the level of behavior is this level of capability. And this is your skill. You know, I'm really big, I know you are, in skill development. 
because we don't necessarily rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our skills, mm. right? Of our training, if you will. And so are you trained in reading faster or remembering names or working out? Because you need that training in order to do that behavior, right? But even if you have the training and the capability and the skill, look at the level above that. And that's the level of belief and values, belief and values. Meaning that let's say the behavior is you want somebody to read 30 minutes a day. And they even have the ability because they were taught, but they have a belief like, you know, they're not that smart or they don't value reading. Or let's say in my case, uh, remembering names, that's a behavior. I want to teach everyone to remember the names of everyone they meet. And maybe they even learn because they listen to a couple of podcasts on how to remember names capability, but they have a belief it's not important or they have a value that like, remembering names is not very important to them or believe they have a bad memory, then it's not going to mm, work, right? right? And you wonder why they don't do the behavior. And then finally, the level above belief and values is this level of called identity. And this is something you and I talked about, two most powerful words, or I am. So let's say the behavior is you want somebody to stop smoking, but their identity is I am a smoker. That's going to be a hard shift, right? Because people are going to try to fight on the behavior every single time, 20 times, 100 times a day, but their identity hasn't shifted, mm -hmm. right? And so let's say the behavior is you know, they want to stop procrastinating but their identity is i am a procrastinator that's a challenge the last level papers do papers do tomorrow i just exactly. got started baby exactly exactly <laughs> and you wonder why people put it off and then the level below behavior as everyone's thinking about behavior that they've been putting off is this level called environment environment and what i would say at a high level let's say they want to um their behavior is they want to read more but their environment is they have no books or maybe the environment is too dark or maybe they want to behaviors they want to meet more people, but the environment they're not getting putting themselves in an environment to meet new people. It's going to keep them there. Or maybe they want to stop smoking. It's the behavior, but their environment is around smokers, mm -hmm. right? Or right. they're putting their environment. They want to stop. We need good food, but their environment is they have all those those crazy snacks and processed food. Like they're exactly. Chucky, like exactly. They're dressed up as a mouse. And the reason why this work ultimately is because when we're talking about thinking, thinking is the process of asking questions and answering them. So, you know, and even if people are listening, they're like, oh, is that true? Notice, is that true is a question. So the main questions back in school, watch this, are the five W's, right? The five W's and the H. So questions really are the answer, you know, cause that's what questions are, that that's what thinking is. It's yeah. asking questions. The reason why an Elon Musk could come up with Tesla or something like that is he was outside the industry looking in asking was thinking, asked himself a new question, why aren't we doing it this way with today's technology, right? That, that's what your power is to be able to ask new questions. But going through the five W's and the H, the identity level answers the question of who. The level of behavior, of beliefs and value answers the question why. The level of capability answers the question of how. The level of behavior answers the question of what. And the level of environment answers the question when and where. Mm. So it's tight. And what I'm all about is having congruency. The reason why it's not just about when people see me memorizing 100 people's names in an audience or 100 words or numbers or they know I read a book a day is that there's a structure to this because it's about we use such a small percentage of our mental potential. Right. But when it's completely aligned and your whole self, it's like whole self learning or whole self thinking. And then it becomes almost what appears to be effortless, you know, to 
to yourself compared to like what people are struggling with. And part of it, again, is going back to this knowledge gap is there are some people who know, some people don't know. But I'm hoping during this conversation, the distinctions people learn, whether it's the six thinking hats or the old method about making mistakes and how to own it and learn from it and don't repeat it, or it comes down to like this framework, these five levels of transformation. Yeah. It gives you these distinctions, so it allows you a new way of thinking about it. And because you're thinking about different, you'll get different results. And isn't that what we all want? All right, I hope that you enjoyed this compilation. One of the most remarkable things that I really was able to extract from these conversations with Jim was the fact that yes, a portion of our cognitive potential is determined by our genetics. Absolutely. But up to two thirds of your cognitive potential is determined by your lifestyle, your environment, and your training. Our brains have infinite capacity to grow, evolve. There is yet to be a supercomputer that can match the capacity of the human brain. We're just uneducated on how to utilize what theoretical physicist Michio Kaku calls the most complicated organ in the known universe. That is the human brain. All right, so utilizing some of these strategies, we're starting to tap more into our limitless potential. And again, I hope that you got a lot of value out of this. Definitely check out Jim's amazing New York Times bestselling book, Limitless, same name as well. And of course, he's been a frequent guest here on the show and we'll have all of his past interviews for you in the show notes. If you got a lot of value out of this, please share this out with your friends and family. Take a screenshot of the episode, tag me and tag Jim at Jim Quick on Instagram. By the way, if we didn't say, that's his real name, all right? What are the odds? How are you going to have the name Quick and you're an accelerated learning expert? If you know his story, this was not his intention. And when he was in school, he actually struggled tremendously. And that really evoked his life's mission and his gift by figuring these things out for people who were struggling with learning. And he's really unlocked his superpower. And so to pay that forward, take a screenshot, tag Jim, let him know what you thought about this episode. We've got some powerful masterclasses and incredible guests coming up very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes, you can find transcriptions, videos for each episode, and if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome, and I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.